Good morning. I begin by thanking the sponsors. Talmud Torah sponsor for the month, Shmuel Libadinowitz for his chus for Elias Neshama, for a parrots, Avram Ben Harav Moshe, Rabbi Yaman Moshe, Day of Learning sponsored by Evelyn Getz, for your Fuah Shlema, for your Chavah Chavah Leah Bas Bela, Shishav Fuah Shlema Makarov, and Daf Yomi is sponsored today by Philip and Judy Sanfield from Los Angeles. Well, in honor of the Sloshim of Judy's mother, Fega Bas Shmuel, and Jacob and Judy Blumenfeld in commemoration of the art site of Jacob's grandfather, Yitzchak Isaac Ben Shmuel, on the 23rd of Tammuz, the Shammah Shavon Shav Shav Aliyah, and the family is in Ahama. Okay, we begin a brand new parak. A brand new parak today, Masech Ksubis. We are up for the second parak, which begins at the bottom of Daf Tes Vavam Abeis. We're going to pick up from the Mishnah, and today's Daf is Daf Tes Zion, 16 in Ksubis. The Mishnah begins. A woman who became widowed, or she got divorced, and now she wants she wants to collect her ksuba. When I got married, I was a besula, and therefore my ksuba should be two hundred. When I married you, you were an almana. You were already widowed. So obviously, as Rashi points out, there is no there is no physical ksuba in this case. Rashi says it got lost. We'll see that it's possible that we're talking about a case where there was no ksuba even to begin with. But the bottom line is, there is no physical ksuba in this case where she can actually show what the ksuba says in it, and she's just claiming what she was at the time that she got married. So the Mishnah writes, If there are edim that testify that when she got married, she went out to hinuma. At this point, we don't know exactly what hinuma means. The Gemara is going to address what hinuma means later on. It was either that she had some type of hat, or there was some type of decorations at the time that she got married, which were there that indi- they were there to indicate that she was indeed a besula at the time that she was getting married. So, if there are adim who can testify what happened at the wedding, then ksubasa masayim. says af raya. As well, even if there are Adim who can testify that when she got married, they gave out, they distributed to people or to the children, Kloyos. Kloyos are the modern day, nowadays we call them candies, but then they were roasted kernels. So it happens to be throughout the Gemara, we always find whenever we want to talk about giving treats to kids, it's roasted kernels. So basically, they take kernels, and kernels are naturally a little bit more, wo- little, little bit more moist, and they would roast them, and they would get sweet when they would roast them. Basically, it was Rabbi Olivar. So, Umoda Rabbi Yeshua. Now, here we have something very interesting. Umoda Rabbi Yeshua. The term Umoda means that he admits or that he concedes. The problem is we don't yet see anything in this Mishnah where there was an argument. We don't find that there was anything that was said, first of all, by somebody that would need to have a, an admission. But clearly this is referring to the previous Machlokas that we've been talking about in the previous Amudim up until now, where Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Lazar had a, had a disagreement about the Ne'emanus, about whether or not this woman is believed about her status when she got married. So we're going to see later in the Gemara what this is talking about. But if you take a quick peek on Daftes Zayin, 
about three quarters of the way down, this is referring to the case of a person marries a woman and does not find that indeed that she has besulim. So upon his first interaction, his first physical interaction, he discovers that she is not a besula. So he omeras mishereztani anasti sadeu. She says, "Hey, listen, we got married and everything was fine when we did the erison. However, after the erison." I was abused, and therefore I lost my besulim. It's too bad on you. In other words, sometimes it happens that you purchase something, assuming everything is going to go fine, and then there's a flood, and that's what happened. This must have happened before we did Arison. So we'll get to this soon. But this is the case that Yeshua is addressing, and Yeshua is saying, even though I disagreed with you in that case, in this case, the following case that I'm going to mention, a person approaches somebody and says to them, the following field used to belong to your father. However, I purchased it from your father. He is believed. He walks over to somebody and openly admits that a piece of real estate, a piece of property, used to belong to that person's father. And then he says, while it is true that this piece of real estate used to belong to your father, it no longer belongs to him because I purchased this from him. So he does not have any proof of purchase. There are no Adam that he bought it. He doesn't have a contract that says that he bought it. He just has his own word that says that he bought it. But the only reason why he has to actually have any claim that he bought it was because he was the one who opened up this can of worms by saying that it used to belong to your father. So says Rabbi Yeshua, in that case, I'm going to, we're going to believe him. Why? Because the mouth that made this field Asr, so we're not really talking about Isr and Heter in the context of something being prohibited. We're talking about the mouth that even opened up their area for doubt in this case is the mouth that ultimately put the doubt to rest by saying it belongs to me. Now it happens to be, there is a machlokas between Rashi and Tosos over here, whether or not this is specifically talking about a case where he was the one who began the conversation. In other words, according to Rashi, it seems like the individual, the son of the original owner, did not approach this person at all. In other words, he didn't come to him and claim, hey, this field that you're living in is mine. And he responded... Um, it's true it used to belong to your father, but I bought it from him. Rashi seems to understand that's not the case. It's just random. A guy walks over to somebody and says to him, by the way, you should just know this field that I have, this field that belongs to me, it used to be your family's, it used to belong to your father, but it doesn't belong to your father anymore because I bought it from him. Only in that case where he started the conversation, so he can start the conversation and he can finish it. Tosfer says this is true even if he was approached by the son. The son says, that field belongs to me. And he responds by saying, it's true it belonged to your father, but I bought it from him. Tosfer says that works as well, because again, he could have just denied the whole thing and said, I don't know what you're talking about, it's my field. But the fact that he opened his mouth and said, it's true it used to belong to him, that was his own choice that he said that. He said that, and now he can take that back. Now on the concept of Pesha, also Pesha Hitler, we're going to get into this again later on in the, in the Masechta, but Rebbe Hanan, you have to know this, this is one of those very famous discussions 
that comes up in this Masechta and other Masechtas, we know the concept of Migu. The concept of Migu came up previously in this Masechta a number of times. Migu literally tra- translates as since. And Migu is a code word for a sentence. In other words, since I could have said the following. And I chose to say something else, which puts me in a vo- more vulnerable state. But it's clear that I could have said something else, which would have been a stronger claim. So at least give me the power of that claim with my more vulnerable claim. That's the concept of Migu. Rabbi Hanan, and this really traces back to Rashi and Tosus, he says, the idea of Pesha Asr, Pesha Hitir, does that work with the same mechanics as Migu? In other words, when I say, I'm the one who started this conversation, I'm the one who said that this field belongs to your father. So is that really the same thing as Migu? In other words, is it saying, since I could have denied that it even belonged to your father in the first place, and now I'm admitting that it belongs to your father. But I bought it from him. So believe my current claim that I bought it from your father because I could have just denied the whole thing outright. In other words, it's a plain old migu. There are others who say that Pesha Asr has its own set of mechanics. Now what's the difference? There are a number of differences, but the most obvious one is that we don't say what's called a migu lumafreya. Migu lumafreya is a retroactive migu. In other words, it has to be there. It has to be at that time. You, and it would have to be Tokkadei Dibor. In other words, what if he says, yes, this field used to belong to your father. And then a few days later he says, by the way, the field that I acknowledge belongs to your father, it's true, it belongs to your father, but I bought it from him. So Amigu would not work that way, because once you make one claim, you can't come back a few days later and then make another claim, and then try to empower your, your, your migu. But Pesha Asr, Pesha Hitter, possibly can work even a few days later. Because the idea of Pesha Asr is, who told you that this field belongs to your father? Me! So I should never lose my ability to be able to clarify what that means, because it's only upon my words that we know that it belongs to your father. So therefore, it doesn't have to be Tolkite Dibor. Tolkite Dibor means it has to be immediately. You have to immediately say it. So that would be one of the differences between Pesha Asr, the concept of Pesha Asr, who are Pesha Hitcher. Pesha Asr means the mouth that made this forbidden to me. That's the mouth can, that, can, that can permit it. That might work slightly differently than the mechanics of Migu. But again, hopefully when we learn Ksubis Pi'yun, this is one of those topics that we will address and uh, we'll take up the COVID shiurim, and we will address oral but Rabbi Hanan's beautiful hakiras over there. Okay, now, what if there are edim, in other words, there, there is external evidence that this field belonged to this individual's father. So here you can't just, here we have a case where a person has legitimate evidence, clear proof, documentation, or we have Adam, who come testify that this field belongs to his father, you can't just take it by saying, I bought it from him. You have to have something stronger, like a contract, or Adam that could testify that you actually bought it. But again, it seems like the end of this Mishnah is not at all connected to the beginning. The beginning of the Mishnah addresses a dispute between a husband and a wife about a ksuba. Now, it has to be pointed out. If we're talking about Ha'isha Shenis Armala, um, a woman who's, who became widowed, and now she's arguing about how much money she gets in the ksuba, clearly she cannot be arguing with her deceased husband about how much the ksuba is worth because he is deceased. 
So in that case, he's obviously, she's having that machlokas with the children who are obligated to address their father's ksuba. In the case of a divorce, the argument happens with the husband post-divorce. The second case in the Mishnah is really moving us back to the previous parak where we had all these disputes between Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua about the ne'emanus of the woman to be able to clarify her state at the time that she got married. Okay, the Gemara says, addressing the first halacha about the ksuba, taimod de'ika edim, halacha edim ba'al me'eman. Mishnah seems to say very clearly, she needs to be able to imyesh edim shiyatasabihinuma brosha prua, if she has eight edim that can testify about the circumstances that were there at the time of the, mar- of the marriage. So clearly we see here that without those edim, who would be the one who is believed? The husband. Haleka edim ba'al mehemon. If there are no Edim, the husband would be believed. It seems like this Mishnah is a Stam Mishnah, which does not bring anyone's names. It just clearly and simply says a halacha without any dispute. Differently than Rabbi Gamliel. If indeed this Mishnah would work with Rabbi Gamliel, he says that she is believed. Morris says no. We can make this Mishnah fit even according to Ragamliel. Because Ad Khan Loka Amar Ragamliel. Hasam Ella Babari Vishema. When did Ragamliel say his halacha? When there was a Bari in Shema. In other words, there is a dispute about when she had this interaction with this person. She says it happened after we already did Arisen. It happened after the Kiddushin. She is certain about what happened. She knows what happened. She was there. She can say what happened, she can say it with certainty. He was not there, and therefore he's just guessing, or he's taking an educated guess, or he's assuming. Here, he knows who he married. He knows that we're just having a dispute about past history. He says, when we got married, you were entitled to a ksuba of 100. And she says, if not true, when we got married, I was entitled to a ksuba of 200. But both of them are very clear about what happened. They were both there. In this case, if both of them are bari, perhaps even Rigamliel would agree that you have to have Aden. Bari bari lo amar. So now the Gemara says, Dekari la maikari la, which literally means when he said this, what was he saying? In other words, obviously. Clearly, this is a very different case than the case of Rigamliel from the previous case. In other words, what were you even thinking when you tried to compare this Mishnah to the previous discussions? Of Rav Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua. This has nothing to do with that. This is clearly a case where they both know what happened. Of course, this is not the same thing. Mara says, This is a case where both of them are certain about what happened. Mara says something very interesting. Since most women, when they get married, are a Basula, Kibari Beshemata. For someone to say that you are not a basula, you have a rove really working against you. The majority is working against your claim. So even though you are certain that she was not a basula at the time of the marriage, however, the rove, the majority, is working against you, so therefore there was a hava mina to say that this case would be similar to a bari and shema, where she is certain about what happened, and he, while he's Claims he is certain. The fact is, he's arguing with the majority. So 
so clearly, what we're, we're learning here is that it's not the case. In other words, that is what we would have thought. And the Gemara answers, no, this is still considered bari bari. So in other words, the question was not a ridiculous question to point out that this mission is not, not like a Gimliel. It actually makes sense. Since our Mishnah actually writes the words of Yeshua, which at first sounded like two totally independent halachas, which are not connected at all. If you're going to say that the first half of the Mishnah is a, a case where Rebbe Gamliel is conceding and saying, I agree she, that she's not believed, and therefore she has to bring Adim Shapir. It makes sense why you would end the Mishnah with saying the first half of the Mishnah is Rabbi Gamliel conceding, the second half of the Mishnah is Rabbi Yeshua conceding. If you're going to tell me that we're not talking about a case where Rabbi Gamliel agrees, Rishua Laman Moda. Who is Rabbi Yeshua agreeing, agreeing to? Why would you stick the words Moda Rabbi Yeshua into the Mishnah? So the Gemara says, hold on a second. Mi Savrit Rishua Hyper Kunkai. Are you telling me that Rabbi Yeshua is agreeing to Gamliel about this case in this Mishnah? No, it's not true. In other words, these indeed these are two separate independent cases. Amigu Kai, he is going on the case of Amigu, Vapirkun Kamakai. This is a continuation of the first parak. Now the Mishnah wants to know which case is Rabbi Yeshua addressing. In other words, if Yeshua is addressing a case, a migu, from the previous parak, which migu from the, previ- from the previous parak is he addressing? Ahai, on which case? Ilema if you want to tell me, it's talking about the following case, which is, Haisam Uberis, you have a woman who was pregnant. Fa'amrullah, they said to her, what is the nature of this child? In other words, from whom did you become pregnant? And, he, and she responds, Mi she gives the person's identity, Vikoimu. I shouldn't have said his identity, because it's not so clear that she actually has to give his real identity, but she says it's from the following person, and he's a Kohen, and a Kohen doesn't necessarily mean that he's a Kohen, but that he's a Kosher. So Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Lezer Omrim, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Lezer say, Nehmenes, she is believed, just by virtue of the fact that she tells us who the person is. Rishua Omer, Rishua says, Lo mi pia we cannot live just based off of her word, and therefore she's not believed. So the Gemara says, hold on a second, Hasam my miguika. What migu does she have? In other words, remember, migu always means, I chose a claim which puts me in a more vulnerable state. And I could have just as easily chosen a claim which would, which would have given me much more power. So at least believe what I'm saying. So my miguika, what could she have said? Since she could have said what? She's pregnant. What's she going to claim? I didn't have any interaction with anybody? Well, listen up. You're pregnant. So how did this happen? She has to explain that. In other words, the pregnancy is in, in, in and of itself that she had some type of physical interaction with somebody. So therefore, she has to at least concede that she was intimate with somebody. So therefore, she loses her claim of being. So therefore, you can't be addressing that case. Ella It must be the following case. We saw her being midaberis with one person. And as you remember from the previous parak, midaberis is a euphemism to explain that she was doing something else. And we're going to soon see that those two opinions are going to be addressed. We saw her, we'll just translate it as it, as it, as it, 
literally, we saw her talking with one person. And they said to her, What is the nature of this person? And she responds, Is Ploni who he is the following person, Vikoinu, and he is Kasher. Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Lazar Omrim Namanes, Rabbi Gamliel, and Rabbi Lazar says she's Namanes, she's believed. We do not believe. In other words, we can't live off of her word, we don't believe her that this guy is Kasher. So again, Hasam, my Miguika. What's the Migu in that case? Now it depends. This makes sense according to Ziri, who says Midabaris is just simply explaining that she, she secluded herself with this person. She could have said, listen, we were hanging out together, we were playing uh, board games together, but that's it. We were hanging out, but that's all we did. We didn't have any physical interaction. And then the Ka'amra, but she concedes and says, Nivalti, after we secluded ourselves together. There was a Bia that happened over there. So, Mehemna, she's believed. Why? Because she could have denied it. So that's a classic case of Amigu. She is the one who says that, yes, we were hanging out together, we secluded ourselves. Once the door was closed and nobody was watching, in that case, yes, there was a Bia that happened. She didn't have to say that. She could have just said, we spent the night together, but we didn't do anything. And therefore, she has Amigu. Ella, Rav Asi Damar, my Midabaris Nivales, Kointrim Asi. The word Midabaris is actually a euphemism to describe that there were actually Adim, that she was into with this person, my Miguika. What kind of Migu does she have? What's, what's she going to say? She was called red handed. Vela Aha. So must be addressing the following case. He Omeris Mukas Eitzan. She says, in other words, he discovers that she's not a Basula on the night of the marriage. And he omeris mukas eitzani. She says the reason why there's no besulim is because of some type of mechanical reason. It has nothing to do <clears throat> with any intimate interaction. He says, no, I don't believe you. I think this is something which, which was done by a human being. She is actually believed. Again, in that case, what's the migu? In other words, this is where, we, again, this is addressing a machlokas that we had earlier about what the dispute is. Are they arguing over whether this is a mekach taos, or are they arguing over whether or not you are entitled to a ksuba of a b'ula? So the Gemara says, If we are talking about Rebbe Lazar, and the Machlokas is, she claims I get a mana because when we got married, I was a Ba'ula. And she, he says, nothing. In other words, the claim is, what, is, is whether or not he recognized this information about her beforehand. He says, I knew nothing of this, and the whole thing is a Mecca of Tarets. She says, you did know this. Since she could have said that what happened to me was, I became a Mukas Eitz Tachtecha, the Is La Masayim, she would still get Masayim. In other words, she could have made that claim, and still gotten 200. And she conceded and said, Meikara, in other words, she said it happened beforehand, which now makes her vulnerable, and she loses a whole, a whole mana. 
Sumehemna, she is believed. Ela Rabbi Yochanan court. In other words, that is a valid migu. Rabbi Yochanan dam b'mana b'masayim b'mana my migu. She's actually claiming I'm entitled to a full two hundred. So what? Where did she give herself any weaker claim? So again, there is no migu according to that way of learning according to Rabbi Yochanan. So we're still stuck that we can't find a case yet in the previous Masechta where she has a valid migu that Rabbi Yehoshua is saying, in that migu, I don't agree with you. But in this case, I do agree with you. Because in all those cases that we tried to come up with a migu that would give her ne'amanas, that would make her believe, we just simply can't find a universal case where everyone agrees that there's a migu. Mara says, Ella, aha, must be this case. Hanosia, first she marries a woman. And in the night of the marriage, she does not find that she has basulim. She says, you know what? It's true I don't have basulim. And you know why? Because 12 months ago we did Arison. Between that incident and today, 12 months passed. And during that time, unfortunately, I was ne'anas. I was forced into this relationship and the interaction that I had caused me to lose my besulim. I'm going to stop chesedeil. I'm sorry, listen, it happened after we did Arison. And sometimes things happen to your property that are unforeseen. Just like you can buy a very good, healthy piece of property and it can, it can get flooded. Listen, we got married. At that time, I was a besula. But unfortunately, between then and now, I became a beula against my will. For who Omer, and he responds to her and says, Loki, this is not true. This must have happened before Arison. In other words, he says, I don't believe you that this happened within the last 12 months. I think that you are being dishonest. And therefore, when we did Arison, you claimed you were a Besula, but indeed you were not. Serving Gamliel, Rabbi Lazar Omer, Serving Gamliel, and Rabbi Lazar says, We take her at her word. We cannot just believe her just by virtue of the fact that she says it. Now, Demigu, in that case, Demigu di Bai Amra Mukas Eitz, Ani Tachtecha, she could have simply said that, in other words, she agrees that she had this physical, physical interaction with this person. She could have said, listen, it happened, Tachtecha, after Erison, but it wasn't an actual physical Bia. It was something mechanical. Deloka Pasla Nafshmiku, why? What's the advantage of that claim? The advantage of that claim is she can still go out and marry a Kohen. In other words, that claim still allows her to marry a Kohen. The Ka'amra, nevertheless, she says, Ne'enasti, Dika'pasla Nashimikuhuna. She, she would there, by virtue of her claim, she can no longer marry a Kohen. In other words, she, she claimed a weaker claim, and she could have claimed a stronger claim that it was Imukas 8. So in that case, and Abelazar says she is believed because she chose a weaker claim. So Mishnuhachi Kamar, Rabbi Gamliel de Mehemna. Because of that, Rabbi Gamliel says she's believed. In other words, very simply, they get married, he discovers she is, she does not have Basulim. She says it's because I had this interaction with this person after we got married, but it was an onate, it was against my will. She could have simply said, Oh, listen, I went for a medical procedure, and that procedure caused me to lose my Basulim. Okay? Now, if she would have used that claim, then she would have still been permitted to marry Cohen. She chooses to use a claim that she had in a physical interaction with a person, which now causes her to lose her ability to marry a Cohen. So says her Gamliel, because she chose a weaker claim, let's actually believe her, because if she was lying, she would have lied in the best possible fashion. 
The Kamar Rabbi Yeshua, the Rabbi Yeshua says to Gamliel, Bahai Migu Tahacha Modina Lach, with this Migu in this case, I agree with you. Bahu Migu Tahasam Paligna Ilovech. In other words, in the Migu of our Mishnah, which is, I say to you that this field belonged to your father, but I bought it from him. In this case, Migu, since I could have completely denied that it ever belonged to your father, believe me, that I bought it from your father. In that case, says Rabbi Yeshua, I'm going to agree with you. But in your Migu, of the case of the marriage, in that case, I don't agree with you. Now, this is a very interesting discussion over here because we're crossing over from Evan Ezra to Choshen Mishpah. And it is not necessarily clear that everything works the same when it comes to marriage. But again, here also, remember, when it comes to the Ksuba, we're talking about how much money he owes. Okay, so the Gemara says, let's analyze this. In both cases, there is a Migu. Why are they different? In other words, very nice for Yeshua. You're telling us that you disagree in that case, but you do agree in this case. Why? What's the difference? The Gemara says, So this is an expression which literally means there is a slaughtered animal in front of us. So in other words, in English, there's an elephant in the room. And you have to address it. There's a dead animal here. How did the animal die? Somebody did this. So in other words, the conversation starts by virtue of the reality that's in front of us. There's a dead animal here. You have to address how the animal died. So with that expression, it says of Yeshua, if there's a shar shachat lefanecha, in other words, they get married. And on the first night of marriage, it's discovered very clearly that she's not a basula. So this, the conversation automatically starts by virtue of the fact that she's not a basula. So now we have to analyze why or what happened. In the case of the field, nothing happens. There's no discussion. There's no reason why I should think that this field doesn't belong to you. Only because you opened your mouth and said that the field used to belong to the person's father and then you bought it. Now we have, all of a sudden, a shar shachat. But when the conversation starts, there's no dead animal over here. So it says if Yeshua, if there is a shar shachat lefanecha, if there's already an issue that was raised here by virtue of the fact that just any, any passerby, any bystander, can notice that there's a problem over here. Why? Because there's a dead animal. Or because on the first night of marriage, he discovers she's not a basula, so therefore she can't just come in and start claiming her mikus. However, if she starts the conversation on her own, in a way where her husband had no idea that anything was different, in that case, indeed, Yeshua would agree that if she's the one who starts the conversation, or in the case of our Mishnah, the person who bought the field starts the conversation, he agrees that that migu works. Now the Mishnah goes back to the first case. So the Kivan, the, the Mishnah told us that we have this dispute between this woman and either her, her ex-husband or her children. And are they, argue, they are arguing about whether or not she's entitled to 200 Zuz for her Ksuba. Now the Gemara says, the Kivan derov nisos. Since the majority of women, when they get married, are a Basula, what happens if no Edom comes? Why is that such a big deal? It's true that the majority of women get married 
when they are besula. However, umiyut almanos, there is still a minority of cases of women who get married on their second marriage. There's also another piece of information over here, which is that when people marry besula, word gets out. The zoo, in this case, since word did not get out that she was a besula when they got married, Isra Ruba. The rogue Nashim, Besulos Nisos, Nisos has a problem. Why? Because if it was indeed the case, we should know about it. So the Gemara says, Isla Lo Ruba. Ikala Nisis Besula Yeshlakal. Now the Gemara says, if it's true, that Kala Nisis Besula, whenever people marry Besula, there's a call, Kiyosway Dimai Havi. So the Gemara says, hold on a second. If it's really true, that the word gets out when a Vesula gets married. So now, in this case, obviously, the word did not get out. So if word did not get out, that means that she probably was not a Vesula. So the word says, Let's assume that they're lying. Because, again, if you're telling me a principle, that when a, woman, when a, mar- when a guy marries a woman and she is a Vesula, people know about it. So then... People should know about it. If, if nobody knows about it, so then why are we believing these Adim? Sigmara says, Let's clarify this. It doesn't mean every single case. Sigmara is basically saying, there's no ironclad rule of what happened. Most cases, again, this is a type of robe, it's an interesting robe. We don't have enough time to get into this, but if you look at the bottom tosis, Mandav Tezayin Amarala, tosis says, Kivin the Rav Nashim Besulis Nisus, Kilek Eide Mehavi, tosis really says, the Rav Parach to Isle Halchem Bemamanachar robe. He's really opening up a whole discussion as to whether or not we go, when it comes to monetary disputes, we use the concept of robe. But what many point out over here is that this is a very different type of robe, because Most roves depend on what most people do. This is a rove, which is a rove which describes the reality in most cases. In other words, this is a statistical rove. We have a rove over here in statistics. So again, statistically, most chasanas, most weddings that happen, happen between a besula and her chasana. And there's also a rove that when a kala gets married and she's a besula, people know about it. It doesn't mean that if Adam come and say otherwise, that they are lying. The Gemara continues. It's our Adam that testified that at the time that she got married, she did something which indicates that she was a Vesula. We're talking about a case clearly where there's no Ksuba. So now, if, there are, if we are believing these Aden, in other words, if these Aden who say that when she got married, she had Hinuma Rosha Pruo, we'll get to that later exactly what this means. But the circumstances around the marriage indicated that she was a Misula, and that's enough for her to claim 200 Zuz on her Ksuba. So now, why aren't we worried that she will take these two Aden with her to Bastin, and then she will go to another Bastin with her Ksuba? And collect twice. Because if we're just simply believing her without a ksuba, she can collect twice. 
Amra Bavo, Zos Omeres, this must mean, in other words, the fact that we're believing these Edim must indicate Kosv and Shover that we write a receipt. In other words, there is a big dispute throughout all of Shas whether or not a Basin writes somebody a receipt. Why would you not write someone a receipt? It seems like a very safe thing to do. The reason is because it puts the person who has the receipt in a vulnerable place if he loses it. Remember, we're not talking about a reality where you can just, you can just upload the receipt to your iCloud. You can't just put it in your electronic files and have it stored somewhere. We're talking about somebody who has a piece of parchment, handwritten by the basin, that says that you paid off your ksuba. Now, what's he going to do with it? He's going to put it somewhere in his storage, and what happens if the mice get a hold of it? What happens if it just simply gets misplaced? If we always write a receipt, then he, if he goes to Basin again, they'll say to him, sir, where's your receipt? And he says, I lost it. They'll say, oh, come on, right, that's what they all say, right? Simply, you know, he goes in and says, the mice ate it. It's just as good as saying, my dog ate my homework, right? In other words, if, if we always have this idea that you have to have the receipt, and if you don't have the receipt, you're going to have to pay again, it puts him in a very vulnerable place. So therefore, we have a dispute whether or not it is the right thing to write a receipt in the first place. So this obviously indicates that we write a receipt to protect you from having to pay twice. Rapapa Omar, Rapapa says, no, we're not talking about, uh, this does not indicate that there's a receipt written. In other words, we have no indication from here that a basin writes a receipt. Rapapa Omar, Rapapa says, we're talking about a place where they don't write a ksuba. Now obviously, as Rashi points out, they are arguing about the value of the ksuba. So there is a ksuba. We're not talking about there not being a ksuba. We're talking about there not being a physically written ksuba. In other words, we're talking about a place where it was so obvious that the, that the takonas based it, that a woman has a ksuba is in place, and therefore it's not even necessary to write the ksuba, and we're just not worried about this reality. If you look at Rashi, at the end of the Rashi Rapapa Amar, he says, We rely on the Takana of Beistin that they established that a Basula always gets a mana and a Baula gets, sorry, a Basula gets 200 and a Baula gets 100. They just weren't worried about people doing this. They just didn't write Iksuba. So the Gemara says, "V'ikadamasnila There are those who learn this machlokis about the shover on another brisa, which is the brisa says, "If the ksubasa, a lady loses her ksuba, hitzmina ksubasa, she hid her ksuba, nisrefa ksubasa, her ksuba, her ksuba got burnt." Now, all these cases are cases where her marriage document is not here. So now, if Rakdulafaneha, if we have Aiden that say that they danced before her, or Sachakulafaneha, they rejoiced in front of her, Havirulafaneha, Koshal Basura, they passed before her, this Koshal Basura, we'll describe later on what this Koshal Basura is. It's a cup filled with wine, but it's a special type of wine. Omapashal Basulim, or they passed before her, again, proof that she was a Basula. Imyeshla Aiden Be'echan Mikal Elu. She has Aiden that testified to any of these things that happened. Ksubasa Masayim, she receives 200, even though Ksuba is not here. Now, why are we not worried? Why are we relying on these Aiden 
that testify about what happened at, at her marriage. Maybe she'll collect twice on Rebavo. So this is the case where Rebavo says, so Samaris Kost and Shover, this indicates that they write a receipt. Once he has his receipt, he is safe. Papa Omar, no, we don't write a receipt. The Makkum Shein Kost and Ksuba Skinner. We're talking about a case where they don't write a Ksuba. Now, obviously, the obvious question over here is, what are you talking about? If the Ksuba Sakatani, the whole case is predicated upon the fact that she lost her Ksuba. How can you say they didn't write the Ksuba? Mara says, the cost of La'ihu. He decided on his own to write her aksuba, but it was a place where they didn't write aksuba. Sumara says, who cares whether or not everybody else writes aksuba? It's irrelevant whether their neighbor wrote aksuba. We're talking about them. So, so, if she has aksuba, she'll take it out. Sumara says, by ivda, ivda ba'ar. Ivda means that it got burnt. Sumara says, hold on a second. Go back. Look at those cases. One case was Ivda Ksubasa. The other case was Nisrifa Ksubasa. If you're telling me Ivda Ksubasa means it got lost in a fire, then I have news for you. That is the same thing as Nisrifa Ksubasa. This Mora says, Yahaki Hainu Nisrifa, that's the same thing as getting burned. For Ode, Hitmina Michael Memar, how about the case where she hit it? The Su Ivda Lamali. What do you even need that case for? Where it says, Ella, call Ivda. What, what this means is, any case of a lost Ksuba is Kihitmina Bifanenu. It's as if she hit it. Kihitmina Bifanenu, dummy. Below Yavinan law, we won't give her the money. Add the Amri Edem Nishfak Subasa. In other words, you have to really kvetch that case a little bit. It's not three different cases, but a lost Ksuba is similar to a hidden Ksuba. And in the case where it's either lost or hidden, she won't get the money until she brings Adim that the Ksuba was destroyed. Those who learned this dispute about the Shover on the Brysa, there's not much of a difference between the Brysa and our Mishnah where the Ksuba is, is not here. However, the one who had this machlokis about the Mishnah, they're not going to have this dispute about the Brysa, why Kikushia? Because of the cash, in other words, the, as we're going to, the Rashi basically points out, we don't want to. The, the one who learned this this machlokus of shover on the Mishnah doesn't want to get involved in the case of the Brisa because that forces you to rely on shinuye dechiki. You have to really, as we said, you have to kvetch the Brisa to fit. You have to say what it meant was if she loses it, it's as if she hid it, and once she hides it, she doesn't get it until she brings Aiden that it was burnt. That's not what it says. It's really just, in the literal translation, that's not what it says. So therefore, it's not a given that everyone's going to agree that the Mephokis about the Shover applies to both cases. The Gemara continues, If there are Edim that testify that when she got married, the circumstances indicated she was in Sula. So now the Gemara asks a similar question. Should be blessed. What we should be worried that she'll find Adim about the Hinuma. Again, the Hinuma are the decorations at the wedding or the hat that she wore to the wedding. So now, how many people come to a wedding? I don't know, but more than two. So she could definitely have more than one set of Adim that she can approach. So now she could approach, she could take out her wedding list and say, let me find two people who are there. And she takes them to Basin. 
she takes out her wedding list again and finds two more Edim who are there. Do you remember what I was wearing at the wedding? Oh yes, you had that Hinuma hat on and there was the Hinuma dressing at the chuppah. She says, okay, do me a favor. Can you just come with me to Basin? She could just go Basin hopping and go from one Basin to the next and continuously collect 200 Zuz. The Gemara says, says, says the Gemara, you're right. In a case where we really have no choice and it's going to lead to such a problem like this, indeed, he would get a receipt. And in such a case, everyone agrees that he's better off having a receipt that he has to guard than having to pay up every time she finds a new basin that opens up in another corner of the city. The Gemara continues, One of the cases that we had before what, that indicates that she was a basula was they passed before her a kosha basura. So the Gemara says, By kosha basura, what is this? They passed before her a cup of wine. What type of wine is it? It's wine of truma. Why did they do this? The Gemara says, It means to say, She would be Permissible to marry a Kohen and eat Truma. So Maskul Rapapa, hold on a second. Why does that indicate that she is a Besula? If a Kohen, a regular Kohen, not a Kohen Gadol, is allowed to marry an Amman. And if he marries an Amman, she's allowed to eat Truma. So how does passing, how does Truma, how does the permissibility of eating Truma if she marries a Kohen indicate that she's a Besula? Even an Amman can eat Truma if she marries a Kohen. El Amar Papa. It doesn't mean that she could drink the, the, the truma. Rather, it's just an indication of zureshis kitruma reshis. In other words, this, this woman, this is her first time, just like truma is taken off of the first crop. Tanya, if Yehuda Omer, Mavir they pass an open bar- a barrel of wine in front of her. Omer, Ravada, Barhava, Besula, if she is a Besula, Mavir Lefnea, Stuma. If she was a besula, it would be a sealed barrel of wine. If she was a beula, it would pass by an open barrel of wine. Zimara asks, Am I never kamei besula? Am I never kamei besula? Kamei beula will never klal. Why do you have to pass an open barrel of wine in front of a, of a beula? Why can't you just skip the whole thing? In other words, I could understand why for a basula you want to pass a closed one, because that's an indication. We have to remember, it was, it, it's very important to have this information. It's like this, she can claim her ksuba. So when it comes to a baula, do you have to actually pass an open barrel of wine? Gemara says, Zimnin de Tafsa Masayim, there are times when she'll actually just physically grab 200. V'amra na basula havai, I was a basula. The reason why they didn't pass that closed barrel of wine in front of me was Everyone was drunk. In other words, they drank, they drank it. So therefore, that's why they didn't pass the closed barrel of wine because everyone got a little bit too merry at the wedding. So therefore, we passed a closed one by and she can't say that the reason they didn't pass it is because there was an open barrel of wine and all the guys got their hands on it before they had a chance to pass it around. Like this, they say, well, actually, they passed by an open barrel of wine and nobody drank it. So that's an indication that you were a baula, and therefore, 
they have to do something to indicate that she's a besula to protect her later on. They do something to indicate that she's a beula. It's like this. She can't just grab the money and claim that everybody was drunk at the wedding. Tomorrow's daf, really, we have to be here for tomorrow's daf because tomorrow's daf is a very famous Gemara. If you look here, it's Next time you go to a wedding, you have to make sure to know where this Gemara comes from and you want to decide, are you a Beis Shamayid or are you a Beis Hillel Yid? We'll learn about this tomorrow. Have a wonderful day and a good Shabbos.